Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. Are you starting to think about getting pregnant and wondering where to start with nutrition and lifestyle recommendations for fertility? Or maybe you've been around the block or around a few blocks and are still struggling to get pregnant, but not getting answers or results from doctors. Whitney Gingrich is a registered dietitian nutritionist and holistic fertility coach helping women learn how to nourish, move, and rest their bodies to optimize their hormonal health and fertility. As a board-certified food and fertility nerd with a decade of experience and a knack for health humor, Whitney uses the five pillars of fertility to create lasting change so that women struggling to conceive can bring joy and pleasure back into their lives while addressing the root cause of their health issues. Please do note that there are a few swears in this episode, so if you have little ones or are listening at work, you may want to use headphones for this episode. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. Welcome, Whitney. I am so glad you are here to talk with me today all about fertility, nutrition, and lifestyle. So tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I've I've been a longtime listener since the 20 episodes have aired. <laughs> um, uh, my name is Whitney. I am a registered dietitian, originally turned fertility coach, and I help women naturally help balance their hormones. Kind of, I don't like the word clean up your diet necessarily, but like habit changes with diet, things that support fertility so that they can get pregnant naturally if that's their goal or improve their chances of success through um, IVF, IUI, all that fun stuff. Yeah, I love how you refer to yourself as a fertility nutrition nerd, like nerds unite, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Can you tell the audience like how you got started in nutrition and more specifically how you got started working in fertility nutrition? So I originally... (laughs) Way back in the day, you know, 18 year old me, I was a competitive uh, swimmer 
and I had a pretty significant eating disorder. And I thought that uh, dietetics would be like a really cool way to continue my eating disorder without anybody knowing. And uh, <laughs> and actually, I've since I've shared that because I've mentioned it on previous podcasts. It's a, it's surprising how many dietitians kind of fall into the into the same category or kind of get into it for the same reason. So that's how I ended up getting into nutrition. Obviously that's not, that didn't the dietetic stuck eating disorder got through that. And, um, I was in clinical dietetics for quite a while and transitioned into fertility after, cause I was working in weight loss specifically and weight loss is just a, it's a really hard area to work in. And I was finding myself not really aligned with the things I was teaching and kind of the diet culture um, side of it. And figuring that out, I realized that my favorite clients were the ones who were coming to me to try and get pregnant. Um, their doctors had recommended they lose weight in order to boost their fertility. And I, I loved working with them throughout the whole process because I got to see them for fertility, their pregnancy, postpartum. It was just, it was the most amazing thing. And so when I um, after I had my son, I struggled so much hormonally and I felt very alone and my health really took a turn and it was supposed to be the happiest time. You know, you just have a baby and it's, it's this huge life change and I was not ready for it. I did not handle it well, physically, mentally, emotionally, and I got zero support <laughs> from my yeah. doctor and just the health healthcare system in general was not very supportive. And I I wasn't in a good place to get pregnant a second time. I knew I wanted to have another baby, but it just wasn't, I was not healthy um, despite, <laughs> despite my diet, my two degrees in health. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, so I set out on, I'm sure a lot of people set out on a mission to learn as much as I can or could so that I could, you know, improve my own health. And then I credit all that work to a life-changing second pregnancy and I, you know, around that same time, a lot of my friends were trying to get pregnant and struggling and not getting anywhere with their providers. And so I set, set in motion to leave my position in the clinical world. It took me, I'm not good at change. And so it took me a while to finally pull the trigger, but yeah, that's how I ended up. That's a long-winded answer. That's how I ended up in fertility. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting that it was actually feeling bad during the postpartum phase that was what led you to working on getting in an optimal place before a pregnancy. It was so draining. The pregnancy was so, so draining. And I, I was very naive going into it, as I think a lot of us, when we start to try to conceive, you know, we don't really, we're only provided what, what the information it's like sex ed in fourth grade is about it. Like you get a pad here, you're going to bleed once a month and you can get <laughs> pregnant all the time. None of that's like, it's not true. So really diving deep and learning and doing, you know, educating myself on it and using my background in nutrition and health as kind of a launching point and just kind of going from there. Yeah. And I think you're right about, you know, a lot of RDs end up in the field because of a history of an eating disorder or disordered eating, um, you know, either from, you know, learning what an impact food has on our health or for some, you know, there's not many reasons that a child has the opportunity to work with a dietitian. So mm -hmm. um, eating disorders are one of them. And so it was often, 
you know, their first exposure to the career path of an RD and how helpful it can be in certain situations. You know, I will say for my my own self, it's like, okay, well, I've got all basically every calorie count of every food ever memorized oh, yeah. in my brain. <laughs> and it's like, well, now I can use that for, for good and not harm, you know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so what types of patients do you work with? Do you see common conditions? Is it, you know, mostly unexplained infertility? Is it people who aren't struggling with fertility, but are looking to optimize uh, their pregnancies? Um, I work with a variety of conditions, but I would say probably the most prominent is unexplained infertility. And I don't necessarily like the word infertility. I think it's, it's, it's so final and it's often um, mislabeled. I work a lot with women who I would categorize them as subfertility, or I like to use the term disfertility, like there's some dysfunction going on, but it's not hopeless. Um, but unfortunately in conventional medicine, we're not given a whole lot of options on how to support our hormones naturally and make, you know, diet and lifestyle changes. And so I would say most of the clients that I see are in the unexplained infertility, um, secondary infertility, uh, low ovarian reserve. Mm -hmm. That's a very common one as well. I do see also um, PCOS, endo. Yeah. So it's a, it's a variety. Yeah, I agree that that infertility term is so final and just like you can't get pregnant. And, you know, we know that's not the case with, you know, conditions like PCOS where it really is subfertility. There are, right. are reasons why you're struggling to get pregnant, but that doesn't mean it's not possible. Exactly. I jokingly call it picky fertility. <laughs> <laughs> Your fertility is just a picky bitch and it likes things a certain way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I love that you really approach fertility from five different angles because, you know, much like PCOS, fertility is, is complicated. There's no, there's no magic bullet. Um, there's no do this one thing to get pregnant. So could you take a sec to explain what your five angles are to the audience? I work on, I call them my five pillars of fertility, food, movement, mindset, environment, supplements. And I actually, when I started out, I was, I, I did call myself a fertility dietitian. I really resonated with that. But the more I worked in this space, the more I realized that food is just one piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could eat the perfect diet and it could be full of seeds and nuts and salmon and kale and all that beautiful stuff. But if your stress level and your mindset is in the toilet, um, if you don't view yourself as a fertile person, if you don't see yourself being able to support a pregnancy, if you are exposed to a lot of different, you know, stressors, both emotionally, physically, chemically, all of those kind of things, those all impact your fertility. And so I try to have a really well-rounded approach when I'm working with clients and utilize those different tools that we have at our disposal. You know, I'm not a prescription expert. I'm not a surgical expert. I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to mess with that at all. I like to help people feel empowered with the tools that they have at their, at their disposal, things they can work on at home, because a lot of times it feels very unempowering. You've got a ton of doctor's appointments. You're getting poked all the time. 
in every different orifice. <laughs> um, you're getting, you know, all of these plans made for you and on these prescriptions. And it can feel very, you know, you can feel very out of control as you experience that. And so I like to use the five pillars as a way of building your body and mind from the ground up. And also feeling like you are a participant in this process and that you have control over what's happening. That is so important. And, you know, I think that really encompasses the integrative approach where, you know, we're not treating a condition. We're not, we're treating the whole person and you could have the most quote unquote perfect diet in the world, but if your stress is off the charts and you're not sleeping and you're just, you know, over exercising and all of the things that can have a negative impact on fertility, it's like, you're, you're not going to get pregnant. It's the same thing with the fertility supplements, which I get asked all the time. Like, what can mm-hmm. I take to get pregnant? And it's like, what fertility tea do I need to drink? <laughs> it's like, I'm so sorry. There's, there's not a pill for that. You know, mm-hmm. you can't out supplement the basics. <laughs> Yeah, I do want to talk about the nutrition piece, um, you know, especially because you are a trained dietitian. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there such a thing as an ideal diet for fertility? I wish there was. I really do. Wouldn't it be so nice if you could just give everybody the same handout and be like, this is your fertility diet. Mm-hmm. This is what this is what you do. If you do these things, you're going to get pregnant. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. Every body is different. Every situation is different. If you're working with PCOS, the nutrition needs are different than someone who has, I'm thinking like hyperthyroidism. Every, every situation is a bit different, but there are some principles that do um, flow from condition to condition. And I work from a place of inclusion rather than exclusion. I don't like to take away food. I love food. I love food so much. I made it a career. <laughs> and so when, you know, as a dietitian, I think a lot of people think, you know, if I'm on a diet, it's going to be restriction. It's going to be taking away things. And actually most of the women that I work with are experts at taking away and restricting foods. In fact, they've gone, you know, one, one extreme to the next going from eating everything to, you know, only eating paleo or only eating Atkins or only eating vegan. And I really like to think about, all right, here are the foods that we know support egg quality. Let's start by incorporating more of those rather than taking things away. And so I don't really look at it as a fertility diet. I like to think about it in terms of more of like fertility nourishment. Yeah. Or a fertility eating pattern. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that's important to remember when we're talking about fertility nutrition is it's not like your fertility as, as a person, your ability to conceive and the health of your reproductive system is a separate entity from the rest of your body. And the things that tend to support fertility are the same things that support overall health. Yep. Your fertility is a marker of your overall health and not saying that if you can't get pregnant, that you are un, you're an unhealthy person. But a lot of times in our system, we don't need to get pregnant to survive. And so if our body is struggling in any way, it really down, down regulates our fertility, fertile ability. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> our fertile ability, because we don't need that. We need our liver. We need our heart. We need our skin. We need our brain. We need all of these different organs. 
our ovaries, we do not need to survive. And so if your body is going to prioritize where to spend energy and devote nutrients, egg quality and sperm quality, your ability to, you know, get in a good hormonal flow each month, that is a luxury. It is not a necessity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and we see, we see the impact on that during months when we're stressed and our cycles are late. There's a really immediate or during, um, hypothalamic amenorrhea when, you know, the, the calorie intake does not meet the needs. And as a result, the body decides, okay, we're just, we're just not going to ovulate it. We're not going to do this this month. (laughs) I like to think of my fertility as a personality. (laughs) I wish. I wish I, do. <laughs> I wish I knew her name. Um, I was actually just looking at her account today. There's a, a comedian who does these sort of funny uh, videos of her uterus and her brain. And they're oh, hilarious. I I've will... seen her. She does a TikTok. She's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> uh, she just did one yesterday on on all the parts of your body talking about the period and like, mm-hmm. okay, guys, let's get together and, you know, make her really bloated and really gr- grumpy and pick mm-hmm. a fight with her husband. <laughs> I love that one. I, I follow her on TikTok. Her stuff is, I wish I could remember her name. I can't either. I, I'm sorry be, if you're listening to this. I know. <laughs> I'm just sorry. I think it's Heather something. It might be Heather something. Anyway, I, while we're talking about funny things, I'd love to talk about some of the myths around foods that promote fertility. I mean, I've heard it all from pineapple to beets to don't eat cold foods. You know, probably my favorite one is to eat McDonald's French fries (laughs) after an IVF transfer. Um, Is there any truth to these myths? No, not scientifically, but I believe, and I work from a perspective that mindset really impacts health. And so Mm. if you are feeling like you're doing something big, you know, eating those McDonald's French fries, if it makes you feel good, if you feel accomplished, or if it's just something you really want to do, it's most likely not going to hurt you. Definitely with some of the foods like, you know, and I I think the recommendation is just to eat the McDonald's fries the once. It's not like like you're eating them every day for a week after. I can dispel that myth. It's not going to help your fertility. (laughs) But the one time, if you feel good, go for it, girl. (laughs) You know, some of those other ones, like theoretically, there's a tiny piece of, of, you know, maybe science that supports it from a theoretic standpoint, um, you know, the bromelain and pineapple being anti-inflammatory and the nitric oxide promotion from beets that improves blood flow. Like, I don't think these are bad things. And like you said, like if someone enjoys these foods and it, it's helping their mindset and they feel positive while they're doing it, there's no harm, you know, Mm -hmm. That's where it's like, well, you know, don't go out of your way to do this though. If these are not foods that you regularly enjoy and want to eat. Yeah. And I also, I'm not huge into the, like the two week weight kind of eating style. Mm-hmm. I, if you're going to eat those foods, cause beets are amazing for you. Pineapple has a ton of vitamin C, which I think we all need right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I say with a cold. <laughs> yeah, I just had my mandarin orange this morning with my breakfast. I've got them scheduled with my lunch. <laughs> 
but I really, I would rather see you eat these foods regularly as opposed mm-hmm. to just during the two week wait or just trying to incorporate dark leafy greens at a certain point. Uh, those foods are good for you all the time. And I emphasize a lot in my work, the time leading up to ovulation is more important than after ovulation. Once you've hit ovulation and you're in that two week wait period, your body has already done most of the work. Ovulation is like the coup de gras of all of it. And so the two week wait is really not the time to be, you know, doing all of the healthy things or, you know, really digging into that. The time before is actually going to make the biggest impact on your egg quality, sperm quality, uterine lining development, all of those beautiful things. And so, yes, those foods, I mean, if you want to eat them in your two week wait, go, but have fun, have a good time with that pineapple core. But also if you wanted to do it before, it wouldn't hurt. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a similar story with alcohol too. Um, That's a a pretty common one. I get sort of panicked messages about where it's like, I went out to dinner with my husband or "Ah, it's our anniversary and I had a glass of wine with my dinner in a restaurant. And it's like, that one glass of wine is not going to make or break you. Um, Going out and binge drinking five or six drinks you know, is not supportive of fertility at any point in your cycle, (laughs) let alone, you know, the two week wait. Mm -hmm. I'm a big proponent. I'm not a big proponent, but I I completely agree with you. The emphasis on just being, and I wish I could put quote, if you can hear me, I'm putting quotes around being good Mm -hmm. after you have sex or doing that, you know, to promote um, implantation you are really making the biggest impact in the 90 days leading up to your ovulation than you do in that two-week wait. Yeah, while we're on the topic of that, you know, two-week wait and being good and doing all the things to get pregnant, um, you know, there's, there's other lifestyle topics that or recommendations you'll read online, like putting your legs up the wall after you get, after you have sex. And it's just like, oh, like, you know, gravity is not an issue. Sperm know how to swim. Like, do you talk about this and some of these things with your clients at all? Yes, I do. And I think you'll be happy to know that most of them are wrong. (laughs) Most of them are just myths, which is nice because, you know, sitting with your legs up, if you're having sex three days in a row, that could get pretty old, unless you just want to sit and watch TikTok, then it might be a good excuse. What do you think about those fertility-friendly lubes? Ooh, that's a good topic. So fertility-friendly lubes, it's really important if you're trying to conceive to, well, first to understand that these lubes don't enhance fertility. They just are safe for sperm. Most lubes don't have the right pH. They kill sperm off pretty quickly, like a KY or something like that it's not going to, the sperm won't survive long enough to make it to the egg. But there are some lubes um, that have been created to have a pH that's similar to the vaginal or fertile mucus. And it's not going to help the sperm get up there, but it's not going to immediately kill them off, which is important if you're trying to get pregnant. Yeah, I think I think that's important to remember that it's not enhancing fertility. I do I do tend to like them if I'm working with someone who's let's say in that that geriatric pregnancy population. So if you're over 35 and trying to get pregnant, your eggs are not what they used to be in in their 20s and you might not produce as much fertile mucus as someone who is younger and has more robust eggs. 
so I do find if you, if you, but although, you know, producing enough or not enough is such a amorphous thing too. It's like, maybe, maybe you're not noticing it because it does like to hide out up there near the cervix. Um, you know, you may just not be as overflowing with it as you were in the past. That is very important. Yeah. So there are a lot, a lot of other lifestyle support recommendations that can help fertility, you know, exercise, sleep, stress. I did get a lot of questions when I asked my audience what their questions were around fertility, nutrition, and lifestyle, you know, sort of specific questions about what type of exercise is good, what time exercise, you know, I'm curious to hear what your answer to those questions would be. So what's interesting about working out or exercise, you know, specifically to support cycle health or um, fertility, it's the opposite of what we have been told, basically. (laughs) Um, A lot of the studies around exercise, weight management, all of that stuff, a lot of the studies have been done on postmenopausal women or men. A lot Mm of um, cycling women have been left out of these studies. And so when they come out with these data points, they're like, CrossFit's amazing. Hit exercise is great for women or great for people to lose weight and all of these amazing things. A lot of the times it doesn't really apply to people who are trying to get pregnant or cycling women in the same way. Exercise is still important, but fertility likes a little bit of laziness. If you are going balls to the wall, doing really intense exercise five, six times a week, I'm thinking like Orange Theory kind of (laughs) workouts or CrossFit kind of workouts, that's a stressor on your body. Every time, you know, you break down that muscle tissue to build your muscles a little bit bigger or stronger, that is stressful for your body. And depending on your caloric intake, depending on your lifestyle, you know, your sleep, all of these different things, that level of intensity can actually be backfiring on your fertility. And so when it comes to exercising to get pregnant, there's not really a perfect way to exercise, but I always say this is where you really want to tune into yourself what are your energy levels looking like today? Is this a day where you need an extra rest or is this a day where you feel like you can push yourself a little bit harder? In general, I do tell women to try and avoid super intense exercise after they ovulate. Um, Hormonally speaking, we do better with a little bit more like stretching, yoga, maybe some Pilates. If you're going to do strength training, more body weight exercise. And then save your more intense exercise um, for the time between your the when you start bleeding until you ovulate. So the intense exercise in the first half of your cycle, in the second half of your cycle, maybe you know pull back the reins a little bit. But in general, just super super intense exercise every single day is not been shown to be helpful for fertility. Yeah, and I think you know that ties back to what you were saying about tuning into your body and it's natural with the hormonal changes that happen over the course of the cycle to feel a little bit more quiet and like you need rest in the second half of your cycle. So if you're, if you're in tune with yourself and you're listening to yourself and you're not forcing yourself to do something that, that doesn't feel right to you at the moment, you know, then, then that's sort of, it's almost like intuitive exercise, you know, yes. you're kind of 
tuning in. That being said, um, you know, I have found if I, if I can force myself when I don't want to in those very late, right before a period days, uh, to get up and take a walk or something like that, like that can be so helpful. So energizing. I wake <laughs> myself up. <laughs> Yeah. What about, okay. So it's, there's such a fine line when you're talking about stress because the reality of the situation is that stress is not supportive of fertility and that when your adrenal hormones are out of whack, it drags down your sex hormones. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the worst thing you could say to someone who's struggling with getting pregnant is, oh, just relax and it'll happen. Just go on a vacation and it'll happen. Like, how do you, how do you talk about the importance of stress without, or stress management rather without, you know, making people feel like it's, it's their fault that they're not getting pregnant. When it comes to stress, you are absolutely right. Telling someone to just relax and it's going to happen is the worst thing you could possibly say. If you've ever said that to someone, go ahead and send them a quick text and tell them you're sorry. It's not, that's not the way it works. The way I like to put it is you can't make it go away, but you can start to take a look at the extreme stressors in your life and see if there's some wiggle room. So if you are scheduling nights out with your friends all weekend, if you're booked and busy and you don't hardly have time to just sit and chill out, then we might need to take a look at your social calendar. If there is someone in your life who is just a monster for your mental health, maybe we need to set some boundaries. And so I take more of an active approach to stress management as opposed to like just a relax. I, I like to look at you know the whole menu, see what the problems are, and then see if we can take steps to reduce that. And then also I think another thing is trying to schedule in joy and making that a priority. Because I think a lot of times when we are frustrated with our body, with ourselves, we tend to just sit and stew in it and punish ourselves more. Well, I can't go out because my, I'm not going to be able to stick to my fertility diet, or I can't go out because my friends are going to want to get a cocktail, or I can't, I can't you know, go on a vacation because we're planning on having a baby. What if I get pregnant? And so we tend to punish ourselves more when we're not feeling good. And so I work a lot with my clients on purposely incorporating joy in your life because you deserve it, whether you're pregnant or not. And it can be such a, it can make such a big impact on your hormones. That's so important. And it's, you know, not just joy for yourself. And I I totally understand the whole putting things on hold Mm because there's so much uncertainty around, will I be pregnant this year? Will I not? And, you know, every month you spend half the month thinking, is this the month? Is this the month? And then you have that sort of hope for the couple of weeks and then your period comes and then you're right back down in the ditch. But it's also really important to focus on things with your partner as well that are joyful and are not fertility focused. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the scheduled sex puts a real damper on a relationship and especially on the fun factor, you know? Well, it's, it's a job. It's Mm -hmm. a job. There's, there's scheduled time where you have to do it every single day or every other day or whatever your provider recommends. And it's, it's exhausting. It takes away so much of the, the intimate part, the fun part, the connection, all of that. And so 
finding things to do with your partner that can kind of bring that intimacy back in. And that looks different for everybody. Could be Mm -hmm. a date night, could be a Netflix night, could be a game night, you know, whatever trips your trigger. (laughs) Yeah, I talk about that too in, in terms of the stress management piece is, you know, if you don't resonate with meditation or yoga or deep breathing, find what works for you. Like, oh, I saw on your website, you're a big 90s music fan too. And that is so me. Like when I'm stressed, I will get in my car. I will blast the like Sarah McLaughlin Mm -hmm. and the Cranberries. (laughs) I will sing on the highway. And like, that is one of my, my surefire ways to reduce stress. Mm -hmm. I like to dance too. I can clean. I like to listen to music and clean because then I'm, I can feel accomplished about something and movement has always been a stress reliever for me and finding a, a way to move my body. That's not punishing it, you know, as stress is, it's so cool. I love, yeah all that stress management stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I've actually, you know, since the beginning of the year, I've really been working on incorporating some of those things that bring me joy into my life, especially because, you know, during these times, things that we maybe relied on for fun aren't as available to us anymore or aren't safe to do at the moment. Um, and music is one of them. It's like, I really just need to make more of an effort to play music when I'm doing other things because it makes me happy. Well, I think it's also really, I, I don't know about you and I, I would imagine probably the listeners I find that when I am stressed about something, I won't let myself have that downtime. If I am really focused on a subject or a topic or a problem, I become very obsessed with it. And I like I'll listen to podcasts, books on tape. Every like free minute will be spent, you know, circling that drain trying to fix that problem. And so that becomes mentally and emotionally exhausting. And with music or, you know, whatever your mode of stress relief is, it gets your brain out of that zone and it it forces you to take a step away. Yeah, I so agree. Um, You know, sort of within the last few years, at least since I left New York City, where I had kind of built in reading time, you know, with my, my subway commute and everything, I've, you know, got in the habit where if I was reading anything, it was a business book or a women's health book. Mm-hmm. If I was listening to a podcast, it was a business podcast. Um, and so I've started reading fiction again, and I'm on my third book since the start of the year. And it's just, it's blissful to just, it is. you know, lose yourself for an hour in something where the purpose is just to enjoy and have fun. Yeah, I am right there with you. And I I think especially, you know, if you're in the business field or entrepreneurship, you you feel guilty sometimes not, you know, moving the needle. If I'm taking actual downtime, I'm I'm moving backwards kind of thing. And what I have found is that personally and professionally, I do better work when I have that downtime. I'm better when I take a weekend off. I'm better when I'm listening to a good book. I'm more excited to, you know, do life if I'm not so focused just on one thing. Absolutely. I have my best ideas in the shower or when I'm working out. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have a notepad with me all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And you take your brain off the problem you're trying to solve. You know, that's where the, the creative juices start flowing for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) 
So what about supplements? I know this is a big question. I know, you know, there are a lot of fertility supplements on the market that are kind of combo products, both for men and women. You know, are there any supplements that you recommend across the board uh, for fertility? Um, I have four that I recommend across the board, pretty much depending on where you live, the one might change, but a good prenatal multivitamin with methylated B vitamins. I recommend vitamin D. I live in Indiana. I haven't seen the sun. Well, I mean, I've seen it out a window, but I haven't been, you know, (laughs) really in the sun for quite some time. So making sure vitamin D levels are good. Now, if you live in a sunnier place, if you're outdoors more, that might be a different recommendation. So that does vary. Omega-3s also. I live in Indiana, so we don't have a ton of fresh fish widely available. I know you live on the coast, so it might be a little different Mm -hmm. over there. Um, but a a good omega-3 and magnesium. Those are the four that I typically recommend across the board. But, uh, you know, most of the fertility supplements, especially the blends, the teas, eh, they, they sometimes have good ingredients, but the doses are so low, it won't make much of an impact hormonally. Now, if it's like a fertility tea, there could be a chance. How do I word this? There's a good chance it probably won't do anything bad to your hormones, but there's a low chance that it's actually going to make that much of an impact. Let's put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And there's actually a chance that it might actually be harming you if you're taking, mm-hmm. you know, herbs, herbs especially are very effective in certain situations. If you're taking the right dose under the guidance of somebody who's familiar with them and knows that it's safe for you and your situation. But if they're wrong, if you're taking the wrong thing, it can, it can cause harm. I've, I've had so many um, clients come to me taking, taking dim, for example, because they, you know, think that, that they have estrogen dominance, but it turns out their estrogen's not high at all. And dim is literally throwing them into a menopausal estrogen level and they're struggling with those stereotypical menopause symptoms like out flashes and Mm -hmm. night sweats. And that makes you panic even more. (laughs) Yeah. Or the other one, the, the other one that is, you know, so commonly recommended. And I personally just feel it's dangerous to recommend without having any idea about what the person's hormones levels are is DHEA mm-hmm. and at super high doses, yes. like just, you know, I've in the hand, you know, extreme handful of patients that I've, I've recommended DIM for after hormone testing, you know, I'm talking three to five people in my entire career. <laughs> yeah. And they're all, you know, perimenopausal age when, when DHEA starts to decline. And I started at like five milligrams, mm-hmm. you know, not seventy. You don't jump to 75 automatically. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not, you know, and it's, you know, that one's really quick to see the negative effects from, you know, people start taking that and their skin's getting oily and they're breaking out and their hair's falling out and, you know, their moods are, really irritable. That's yeah. All. If you, if you experience any of these, please stop. <laughs> yes, please stop. DHEA. I never, I literally never recommended it to a person with PCOS ever. 
you know, if we're talking about those, you know, premature ovarian failure or you know, low egg count kind of folks, maybe. Um, it's, and even then I haven't, I've done so many Dutch tests where the, yeah, the sex hormone production might be on the lower end, but the DHEA levels are totally fine. Um, mm-hmm. if not on the elevated side. And so that's def- I'm right there with you. That's one that I, <laughs> I don't want things to be a prescription necessarily, but that's one that the effects could be pretty, pretty big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And negative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> almost, almost never, you know, good from that one. Vitex is another one. (laughs) Vitex for everything. Yeah. Take Vitex for every problem. Um, But there's a lot, you know, if you spend any time on the fertility Facebook groups or Reddit groups or anything like that, you see it all the time. Like, oh, well, I took baby aspirin or I took DHEA or I do like ubiquinol. Do you like ubiquinol? I do. I really like it. And there's a new one that I'm I'm getting really excited about, NAD. for um, aging egg quality. The new research coming out is pretty exciting. I haven't recommended it a ton, but that's one that I've got my eye on. And that makes so much sense from a mitochondrial health perspective. I was literally just um, working on an episode where I I talk briefly about the Krebs cycle and, you know, (laughs) making, making energy in our mitochondria and, you know, NAD is mitochondrial support ubiquinol is mitochondrial support. And we have, you know, a really high density of mitochondria in ovarian cells. So that's why it can be helpful. I love that. I'll have to do some more digging into that. I've recently been doing more digging into SPMs. You know, I, the first time I heard that it was on Instagram. I, I don't know why I've never really been around it or it's never come up in any of my research digs, but that one, it's got a lot of really positive potential. I'm excited about that one too. I get so nerdy about it. I'm like, I'm excited about it. <laughs> I, I know I'm making a guess that we heard it from the same person who I am having on the podcast soon. So Yay! I will definitely pick her brain about mm-hmm. SPMs and mitochondrial support, which is what she's going to come talk about. That's going to be awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to tune into it. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Hey there. So before we get back to the rest of the episode, I just wanted to pop in real quick and tell you about a new workshop I've put together called PCOS Meal Prep Made Easy. If you're like most folks I hear from, you're confused and overwhelmed by all the conflicting info out there about what to actually eat with PCOS. And you may feel like you don't even know where to start. In this hour-long workshop, I break down what foods you want to include for PCOS and what you might want to consider avoiding or minimizing. And I share my simple three-step formula for planning meals with PCOS. The best part is it does not involve spending hours in the kitchen. Yes, you can absolutely incorporate this formula while cooking at home, but what's really great is that you can apply it no matter where you are in a restaurant, getting takeout, at a family meal, or even while traveling. Head over to thehormonedietitian.com forward slash easy PCOS, all one word, to sign up now. Signing up is your first step to finally understanding how to eat to manage PCOS. All right, cool. I'll see you there. Let's get back to the episode. 
Um, let's switch gears for a sec and talk about the cleanup piece of your protocol and your pillars. Um, I think I think this part is really hard for folks and they tend to get really focused on it and stressed about it. And I've found in my personal experience working with people that, you know, they kind of stop focusing on the basics and are just kind of panicking about the chemicals that they're coming into contact with. So it's like, how, how do you navigate that with people? Where do you recommend people even get started with this process? So I, I, when we're talking about like cleaning up, like as far as like getting organic products or completely, you know, sustainable resources and not resources, all of the things in your home, BPA free, all of that stuff. I like to call it low toxing, not detoxing (laughs) because there is no way you're going to be perfect. And if you take that kind of energy of perfection into that, that project um, where you're trying to, you know, only eat organic, grass-fed, free-range, cage-free, local all the time, or you're only using natural things all the time, it can drive you crazy. And it's very isolating too. You can only go to certain restaurants. You can only hang out with certain people. You can only do certain things. You don't want to be exposed to anything. And I actually had one client, and this was before we started working together, she had experienced a loss And she was absolutely sure that the loss occurred because she had cleaned her shower two days before it happened. And she just kind of clung to that. And she was so, so worried that she was the reason that that happened and she caused it. And it's just, yes, chemicals can affect our hormones. Absolutely. Chemicals don't cause a miscarriage. And we do the best we can to eliminate hormone disrupting chemicals. So they call them endocrine disrupting chemicals. And basically they just kind of disrupt how your body's flow is working. And so what I try and encourage is we're just going to take a look at the things that you're almost running out of and see if we, if there's a better option, we can kind of improve by attrition rather than, cause I did it wrong. Uh, Melissa, I was so bad when I oh, first you, learned you about it, everything. <laughs> I dumped everything. I had nothing. I had no makeup. I had no face wash. I had nothing. I was like, well, this has got to go. And this has got to go. And I stressed, <laughs> stressed myself out so much for no reason. You are going to be okay. If you just wait until that product is gone and then just take a look and see if there's a better option. That's my favorite way to do it. It takes a longer time but it's more cost effective and mental. It's better for your mental health. <laughs> yeah, I love when I see. I love the the concept of, you know, progress not perfection and you know, I think people are kind of kidding themselves. I see a lot of accounts where where in the bio it says toxin-free life or, mm-hmm. you know, no tox life and it's like, okay, well, you mustn't be breathing air or drinking water or eating food then because that's impossible. You know, it it probably took me about three years from the start of the process to the end. And I know you and I have had chats about this um, in our our DMs about about products and exchanging sort of products. We're not willing to get rid of. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, up until relatively recently, one of the holdouts for me was mascara. And you Mm -hmm. and I have both settled on 
the same <laughs> mascara. We oh, both, I, I, and I tried all of them. I, mm-hmm. I literally, I even tried that new CoverGirl clean mascara. I um, like it even a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It, it did not work. And, you know, people say the honest one is great and I didn't love that. Um, and I kept going back to, you know, the Maybelline pink bottle. Cause it's like, that mm-hmm. works. Mine was Monsieur um, Big by Lancome. <laughs> that was my... Or- that or was the, my big one. Or the L'Oreal Voluminous was like oh, yeah. my other big one. Mm-hmm. But we have both since settled on Thrive, which I feel yeah. a little weird about because I totally bought it from an Instagram ad, you know. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> I did too. <laughs> but it works. And I like some of their other products too. I like their eye crayons and yeah. Any other fun discoveries like that that you've made recently? Uh, well, you helped me with the nail polish, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I was, my sister's a hairstylist and a cosmetologist. And so I get, <laughs> I get to go into like the salon stores and I, they always have OPI and all of those colors mm-hmm. or SE and OPI. And not that I was particularly attached to them. I just hadn't found something that worked better. And then you turned me on to Zoya. Mm-hmm. I love their stuff. I love it. And they have a million colors too, and it's not expensive, which is great. And they're clear dry. The top coat that goes on there, it is, it it dries so fast and it it stays on for, I would say a week at least. I love to paint my nails. Um, Fun fact. (laughs) That's awesome. I rarely do unless it's summer and then it's only my toenails, but you know, I do, do do it occasionally enough that it warrants keeping a couple of bottles in mm-hmm. the house. I, you'd be embarrassed to see, I, I'd be embarrassed if you saw how many nail polishes I have. <laughs> yeah. And you know, even so I would, I would say probably still you and I are not perfect. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I remember, uh, it was a couple of summers ago, I was waiting in line, at. It might have been 2020. I was waiting in line at Trader Joe's because they were, you know, limiting the number of shoppers. And, you know, one of the employees came out with bottles of water and handed it out to the very hot, very sweaty, nice masked <laughs> line. And, you know, I got a couple of comments like, oh, you're going to drink water from a plastic bottle. And it's like, or what? Like be dehydrated? Just die. You're just going to pass out. That's way better. <laughs> it's like, that's the kind of stuff I really, I really don't sweat. I don't buy plastic water bottles in my house. I don't use it regularly, but yeah, on a 90 degree day, I'm going to drink water from a plastic bottle and I'm not going to sweat it. Mm-mm. No, it's not about being perfect. And I think the longer you're kind of making some of these shifts, the more confident you feel about having having a little bit more leeway and not beating yourself up about it. And the same thing, I think it's important to examine what are priorities for you? Because there might be some things like for me, hair care is a priority for me. I have not found natural hair products up to my standards. (laughs) Um, I have yet to find something that beats Olaplex. So I do the best I can with the things that are going in and on my body. But hair care is one of those, like I dye my hair I really enjoy it. It's something that I have fun and I I don't really feel the need to to give that up. And so but if you're not someone who dyes their hair and it doesn't bother you to, you know, switch it up or go to a natural color or not color it at all, that's not obviously like that's not a priority for you and that's totally fine too. Yeah, I'm kind of that way with with deodorant, you know, and I live in a, a 
pretty cold most of the time area. And so probably for, for six, seven months of the year, I'm perfectly fine using Schmitz or native, which doesn't have antiperspirant Mm -hmm. in it. Um, but I do not like to be smelly. Like I really don't like Mm -hmm. being smelly. That's like a big, I don't like it myself. Mm -hmm. And so that's where in the summer I'll find myself using the Tom's men's antiperspirant. Mm -hmm. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. So it's like, it does have the aluminum in it, but at least everything else is kind of clean-ish. So I feel like it's, it's kind of a compromise on those, you know, sweaty summer days when it makes sense to be using an antiperspirant for me. And it's, you know, whatever, that's, that's a priority for me and it's fine. It's like fine with where I am right now. You will never in a thousand years catch me buying an organic avocado. Cause that's just silly, you know, it's so expensive. It's like $5 for one. <laughs> it's like avocados are, have the least pesticide contaminants of almost any food. It's like, I'm not paying extra for, you know, a label basically. Yep. It looks nice though, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. It really does. Um, I was at the food co-op the other day and pineapples were $7. Oh, <gasps> oh no. I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm getting some frozen pineapples. Then. <laughs> like it's a banana day. <laughs> yeah. Like just on principle, I'm not oh, doing yeah. it. No, I have a threshold. I have a threshold. <laughs> We're not going there. I'll come back next week, see if it's a different story. <laughs> so switching gears back to, you know, fertility and monitoring whether all of these changes are having an impact. How do you how do you counsel your patients around tracking markers of fertility to to see whether all of the changes they've made are working? Okay. This is such a, actually, I'm so happy you brought this up because it's, it's actually the module that just got released in fertile as fuck this morning. I call them like your fertile report cards. So your daily report card, that's your poop. So what's mm-hmm. coming We're going to really examine, you know, what's coming out of your body. Are you having daily bowel movements? Is it painful? Are you constipated? Is it diarrhea? All of those different thing, kind of symptoms or good or bad things can be a sign of your daily health. And then your monthly report card is your cycle. Um, Is it coming within a 24 to 32 day window? Are you having at least a 10 day luteal phase? Are you seeing good fertile mucus, uh, basal body temping? And so I really, the things coming out of your body to (laughs) me (laughs) are are a more important and better indicator of your health than having perfect lab work. I can't tell you how many people have come to me and they're like, my lab work is perfect. My doctor can't find anything wrong. I just don't have a period. <laughs> That's a sign that something funky is going on. And sometimes we're so hell bent on or focused on just the clinical data that we're not actually looking at the things that our body is telling us day to day. Do you have enough energy to get through your day? Are you sleeping eight hours? Are you having disrupted sleep? And then I do, I obviously like, I love lab work and I do think it's important, but I don't think that having the perfect lab work is the end all be all. I want your body to show us what's going on and to be able, because you, this is a beautiful thing that each of us can do. And unfortunately, most of us were never taught how to read our cycles or how to look, how to really think about um, bowel movements as a measure of health. 
Yeah, wouldn't this have been so much more valuable to learn in school than learning how to put a condom on a banana? Like it would have. It would have. <laughs> to be able to recognize the signs and symptoms of your body. And I, I mean, I know that's that's part of American culture where anything relating to sex and reproduction is, you know, dirty and we don't talk about it and it's shameful. And, you know, other cultures aren't like that around periods. I don't know. It's just, it's sad that, that we grow up not knowing about our bodies and we, you know, even, even most grown women don't get to learn this unless there's a problem, you know, unless they're struggling to get pregnant, that's where you learn about temperature tracking. Mm -hmm. Yep. And this is there. It'd be revolutionary. Think about it. Just that that you knew when you were ovulating. (laughs) That's a crazy thought. I mean, I can't get pregnant every day of the month. Like the nuns told me. (laughs) (laughs) My mom used to tell me it only takes one. (laughs) And, and, you know, all those, all those after school specials and lifetime movies, just back that up. Just that one time. time. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be little, like it does, you know, it does happen. Mm -hmm. Um, You just you know, the part that's not talked about is you happen to be in that five day fertile window. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> We're just scared shitless. <laughs> so one of the things that I found really interesting about my work with women is that it often impacts their partners as well. You know, especially if, if the the woman that I'm working with is the one who's doing the shopping and the decisions around what to eat and, you know, possibly even cooking most of the food, the, the partners end up improving their health as well. (laughs) Um, do you, do you incorporate any teaching around, you know, the concept of male fertility when you're working with someone who's struggling and especially when there's no obvious thing wrong? with her. Yes, absolutely. You know, the male counter, if you're in a heterosexual relationship, Mm -hmm. then the male counterpart is it's 50. Well, it's always 50% of the equation, but I'm saying if your, your partner is male, it's important. I think for both of you to get involved in the health changes, because the things that are supporting your egg quality, those really nutrient dense foods, dark leafy greens, salmon, citrus, berries, tomato, I'm thinking tomatoes for lycopene. Um, Mm -hmm. But all of those beautiful foods all support sperm quality as well. And the thing that's really cool about sperm is that they regenerate every 72 days-ish. You get brand new sperm, which is amazing because if you did some real big damage over the holidays with some binge drinking and some questionable choices, by March, you could have brand new sperm. It is beautiful that way. But that also means that let's say you go and get a sperm analysis and you come through with flying colors and then you just take that and run with it and decide not to do anything from then on to contribute to your fertility or mean to like manage your stress or diet or anything like that. It means that in 72 days, it might not be the same quality that you had at that point. And so there's a good side and a bad side. And I think from a relationship perspective, getting both partners involved in the the fertile process um, and making those changes can it can b- bring you together as opposed to driving you farther apart where one partner is doing literally everything under the sun and the other partner is kind of just 
chilling and letting them <laughs> spin like <laughs> no i definitely see that where the woman's tracking your cycle and taking your temperature and taking all the supplements and eating all the right foods and the man is working like 90 hours a week and when he's home on weekends or at night he's drinking beer smoking weed has his phone in his pocket right next mm-hmm. to his balls it's just like it's biking on the peloton non-stop <laughs> yeah those tight shorts make your men mm-hmm. not wear tight shorts um <laughs> if that's the case um on the other hand you know i i agree it's really bonding and supportive when partners are supportive of each other and i have seen that as well i don't want to make light of that or make it seem like you know none of the men are, are involved in, in this process because they are. And, you know, I love when I see, um, you know, a partner going with the woman to the, you know, Creighton class, the Creighton method classes or learning about fertile mucus and, you know, to the point of like, I want to see, and I'm like, okay, that's, that crosses the line. Yeah. Me. <laughs> like you're not seeing, but you know, other I'm I'm not in that relationship. I don't know. Maybe that's how they function. But I love that. And I think I think it is helpful. And you know, in a in a non-heterosexual relationship as well, it's equally as important yes. to be part of the process and mm-hmm. you know, supportive. And you know, I I love when partners are the ones who find me and reach out to me, you know, to to see what they can learn and how they can better support their partner. Well, and from, from my experience, a lot of the partners are just waiting for someone to tag them in. They've mm-hmm. never been given instructions or guidance on how to best support their own fertility. They're just, uh, especially if we're talking about males, like in the conventional medicine, a lot of times they're just kind of pushed to the side. Like women are, they get all the testing and they do all of, you know, all the instructions, all the appointments, the ultrasounds and everything. And the, they're just there, you know, for mm-hmm. for moral support, they're excited most of the time to be able to do something and to help in the process is at least what I have found. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is not the 1950s when the men were relegated to the waiting room the with waiting their room. cigar, you know, just tell me when I have a baby, you know. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I know, I know. A little bit more more equitable these days. So we kind of talked about it a little bit, but I, you know, and and I agree that the time when most people think to reach out to a fertility dietitian is once they've already been down a few paths and tried a few different things that didn't work. And now they're looking at going through the process of IVF or even they've done a round of IVF and it, you know, they either didn't get a lot of viable embryos or, you know, it didn't work at all. Like that's where people tend to reach out to a fertility dietitian. But if you had your dream, when, (laughs) when would people start reaching out to a fertility dietitian? In my perfect world, Melissa, (laughs) uh, (laughs) it would be, so I, I would kind of narrow it down like this. If you have pretty consistent cycles, you're not having a lot of symptoms when you have your cycle you're noticing signs of ovulation, I would say three months of prep work with, you know, incorporating more nutrient-dense foods, trying to be more fertility-minded as far as like exercise, stress, all of that stuff. I would say three months. 
if you are not having cycles or your cycles are kind of all over the place or you're having a lot of pain or irregular bleeding when you menstruate, give yourself six months. It's going to take some time to get that figured out first. Because if you're having regular cycles and you're seeing signs of ovulation, you're getting confirmed ovulation and strong basal body temp shifts afterwards, that, that's a really good sign that it's not an if, it's a when. We just have to kind of wait. But if you're not in that place yet and you're hoping to get pregnant, you're, we've got some work to do before we get to that. I always say it's kind of like being a little bit behind in the starting line. There takes, there's usually a little bit more work to get that in place before your body is ready. If that yeah, makes sense. <laughs> I, no, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, either of us means to say there's nothing we can do if you're already in the process of, you know, medicated cycles and going through the IVF process. Um, you know, nobody I have ever worked with has ever regretted working on their nutrition before pregnancy, regardless of what point they started working on their nutrition. But I will say we are kind of limited in what we're able to do at that time. And I know you use the Dutch test as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I, I use it, you know, maybe, maybe you've got massive gut issues and we really need to focus that on that for, you know, three to six months before we can even attempt to balance your hormones or maybe something turned up on the Dutch and you could really use some dedicated androgen lowering supplements to help you as you're incorporating the diet and lifestyle changes. But now we can't do it, you Mm -hmm. know, because of the medications and because you're actively trying to conceive and, you know, back to that supplement discussion, there are a lot of supplements that I don't feel comfortable using if you are actively trying to conceive. Yep. Absolutely. If you're already in the process, you are right. There's just, it's very limited in what you're able to do. There's still support. There's things that will absolutely help, but it might not be the best use of your investment and your time and money. Yeah. I actually tell people, you know, not to do a Dutch test with me if they are in the process of oh, yeah. no. that fertility was, I, treatments or medicated cycles or IVF. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, first of all, if you're already in the process, the test results are going to look all wonky because of the medications effects on your estrogen and other hormones. But yeah, we're kind of limited. So the earlier, the better. Um, yep, my perfect world. <laughs> even earlier, if you have problems that, you know, are obvious to you, you know, even before you start trying to get pregnant. Can you talk a little bit about your programs and where the audience can find you? I am on social media at The Fertility Nut and my website is thefertilitynut.com. And my programs, I do one-to-one work and I do group coaching, small group coaching. I have not ventured into the online course kind of setting just yet, but in my, my one-to-one work, I, I already explained earlier, I work with couples that are dealing with unexplained infertility, um, PCOS, endo, uh, secondary infertility is a very common thing that I see. And I just, I help them build their fertility from the ground up. 
and they get in some of my packages, my, I always joke, like my four month fertility fix, I call my kitchen sink program. Cause it includes all of my other offers plus a ton of FaceTime with me. So if you, <laughs> if you want someone in your back pocket and like coaching you through the whole process, that, that is, <laughs> that's my signature offer. And then I also have my group offer, which I'm in love with. Even the name is called fertile as fuck. It's just, if that name just tells you the vibe of the program, it is so fun. And I actually just opened up my third round this morning at eight o'clock. And so we're off to the races, but yeah, that's the, those, that's the work that I do. (laughs) Awesome. I love all of the names. I mean, I love your, your business name. I love your program names. I saw uh, what I call the Dutch mini in my practice is your hormone quickie, which is so fun. So cute. You got to have fun with it, right? <laughs> I do. Well, you know, fertility struggles, is, it's a very, very heavy space. And I don't have to be the one to make you, you know, feed, feel, feel that, what's the word I'm looking for? Fuel that fire. I want to be able to bring light and joy and a little bit of sarcasm and humor into this space because we've got enough heaviness. Absolutely. Like you've got to laugh or what you like stop and cry. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I would like you to leave our audience with one thing you want people starting to think about getting pregnant to take away from this episode? I think the thing I would like people to take away coming away is coming away. I can't talk today. I swear this cold is kicking my butt. Um, I want people to feel empowered in their fertility and that they know what's going on and that they feel like they can take steps to improve their own health and make choices as they go through this. It's not happening to them that they are able to be provide informed consent and feel like they are a participant and not just being someone, not just a number. I love that. You know, the whole idea of being an active participant in your own health and fertility is such a a beautiful and empowering thought. Um, So thank you so much, Whitney, for joining me um, to the audience. We will see you next week. Thank Thank you you for having me. (laughs) That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, stay balanced.